0: Zero Foxtrot does not profess to share or promote the opinions and beliefs expressed by show hosts or guests. The Stay Zero podcast was created to provide a platform for servicemen and women to share their stories. Due to the nature of this podcast, sensitive topics will arise. Conversations about combat, PTSD, drug use, and other such subjects will occur. Viewer discretion is advised. Welcome back to the Stay Zero podcast. I have Clayton Martin here with me today. My name is Zach Benton. I'm your host, uh, former Marine sniper, uh, firefighter, naked and afraid, and contractor, uh, now working as a rifle coach and hunting guide and getting to host this wonderful podcast. And Clayton, man, thank you for being here with me today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So you and I are friends because we're both snipers. And
1: when did you go into the Marine Corps? Uh man, I I ran into the Marine Corps just about as fast as I could. Um, in 1991, I think I left for boot camp six days after I graduated high school. Nice. That's yeah. not too different from me. I was two weeks. Really? I was ready to go. Yeah.
0: I feel like I knew if I waited a summer, like a lot of guys did. Yeah. I would have partied. I would have got soft because I was training hard. Yeah. Like I thought that I was about to endure the hardest revolution of training or just experience in my life right how was boot camp for you
1: what was your take expectations Um, to after you know physically uh I was ready for it I was in good shape because I did athletics in high school and so uh physically um I was still. Don't get me wrong. I was still challenged. When you're in the sand pit, getting thrashed, it doesn't sure. matter how good shape you're in. For sure, you're gonna feel it. Um, or you know, you're holding your your rifle. <laughs> out in front of your chest for who knows how until your drill instructor gets gets tired, which you, he doesn't get tired. Did you have that one dude in the
0: platoon that would start like whining or crying within ten seconds? Oh yeah. And you're yeah. like, come on,
1: man. Yeah. Like you can't put it on yeah. that early or they're gonna think we're all full of shit. Yeah. <laughs> I actually thrived on that, man. I think I think that that um gave me more strength, you know, yeah. to keep going when somebody else would start whining, you'd yeah. be like, Fuck "What are you whining about?" Yeah. Fuck that guy. Yeah. I'm going to hold it out and just watch him cry. Yeah, exactly, man. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Yeah, I kind of had that that mentality. So, uh, when did you or how did you get to
1: sniper school? When when did you do that? So, um, my primary MOS was uh 0351, which is a uh, anti-tank assaultman. Yeah. You know, and um uh, when I when I got to the fleet, and and got into my platoon, and um, would get attached to line units, go out to the field. Most of the time, it's like I was stuck with the lieutenant doing, you know, anything. But because what do you do? You're, you're carrying around a rocket launcher, right? You know, right. a shoulder-mounted rocket launcher, um, waiting to be, you know, okay, go go set up over there and... I mean, you could go through a whole day of battle and get to fire one shot. Yeah. Or zero. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, I always had... uh, I think it was gotten to the fleet at the end of 91, went on my first deployment in 92, went went on, uh, did a med float. And we were training, you know, all over the Mediterranean with... uh, you know different militaries from you know the french the israelis to the really even the tunisians were it while you were in assaultment or after yeah. you got in the yeah. okay yeah um but i'd always seen these guys off in the distance you know wearing boonie covers kind of doing their own thing you know in a small group you know out ahead of the battalion out doing something cool you know yeah. And i was like who are those guys Wanna, and this thing for me was no one was fucking with them. Yes. yes. <laughs> they were untouchable. Yeah. They were untouchable. Yeah. I was like, man, I want to be one of those guys. And uh I had a good buddy named uh, Domingo Godinez. Domingo that Valentino Godinez, Sunday Valentine. And uh he would he would I you know, he had read uh, probably every Marine Corps book mm-hmm. there was and Including ninety-eight confirmed kills by yeah. Carlos Hathcock, and you know he would he would always lean in and be like, "Those are snipers," you know. <laughs> it's like you should do that. You'd yeah. love it. Um. And so when we got back from this deployment, they were having a an end doc, and um, me and my good buddy Dills in my platoon, we were we both like, "Man, we we want to do something more," you know. We want to. We want to test ourselves, you know, and uh, <laughs> we had a, a battalion commander who, for whatever reason, decided we weren't allowed to take the stay in doc. Really? Um, he didn't want to lose us. It's like, you're not taking the in doc. Man, there's something real
0: to that. I I remember like if they can't replace you, they won't let you advance. They won't let you try out for the recon and doc. They won't let you try for the stay in doc. And when I first joined, I talked with my recruiter and I was like, what are the best odds of me actually getting to go and and be a sniper? Because that was my whole plan. He's like, you got to be 0311. There's a million of you and nobody cares if you leave. I was like, okay, you're the easiest one to replace. Assault men, hard to replace. Yeah. I think even mortarmen, a lot of those specialty MOSs, those guys struggled to, to go anywhere
1: else because the battalion can't replace you. Yeah. And so you saw that? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, didn't want to let us go. Luckily, just luckily, we had, um, he had uh, leave for a couple of weeks and um, had a lieutenant, his name was Lieutenant Turner, who was uh, um, the acting CO while, while he was gone. And Lieutenant Turner played football for Boston College. He played with Doug Flutie. Oh wow! And in fact, he was uh, after after the Marine Corps. He was on the HBO series Hard Knocks. He's one of the I think it was the defensive lineman coaches for the Miami Dolphins. I don't know where he is now, but when Hard Knocks was out, he was he was that's cool. On that. Yeah, yeah, that's super but cool. But everything with him was a football huddle, right? He was like, "Bring it in, guys, bring it in." You know, everything was a football huddle, and I remember. Um, one day after formation, um, he called me in deals aside. He's like, hey, boys, bring it in here. Bring it in. He's like, I, I heard y'all want to take the stay-in doc. Yes, sir. He's like, I tell you what, since I'm in charge, you guys go take that stay-in doc. And if you make it, leave it up with me. Leave it up to me. If you don't, you know, nobody needs to know. No harm, no foul. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. and. We did, and it was like just a, I mean, just a brutal week-long indoctrination, you know, just no sleep, Wore us out to the bone, you know.
0: So I think that you probably had it worse than I did. You think? I absolutely do, because it was pre eleven, and from what I heard from my seniors, because I was, you know, pretty new into the war like we we convoyed into iraq at the time was that before there was the demand of snipers for the war it was just to make them quit we are the gatekeepers yeah we are going to make sure that 90 percent of these guys go home
1: yeah and we're going to break their dicks <laughs> that was the mentality yeah 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 for sure even when we got to sniper school that was the right mentality. right like the instructors yeah i mean I remember, I remember the first the first couple of weeks into the course um we weren't losing enough guys fast enough right so yeah. we started getting up at uh 4am you know 0400 and they would take us running through the woods no trail just running through the woods yeah. you know i guess to see if somebody would just break an ankle or something you know Maybe. running running in the dark through the woods yeah man you know before uh before breakfast and before actual PT started. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but eventually that, you know, guys just started dropping. We held in there as a platoon for a good while. I think longer than they expected us to. And then after, after a while, guys just... Do you remember how many you started and finished with? 28 showed up to um, the indoctrination... The end doc, you know, when you start sniper school, they take you through a little their own little PFT and Yeah, first, and, first and, thing when you get there. Yeah. PT test, yeah. land nav. A few guys them. dropped off that pretty quickly. I think there was twenty six of us left. And then I want to say thirteen graduated.
0: That was about the same as mine. I think we had twelve, something like that. Yeah. So what was after school, what was your experience in the Marine Corps as a sniper?
1: Um it was much it was much better yeah the just just the quality of life and, and the way you were were treated you were perceived very different, yes, yeah. you got that long yeah. gun, yeah. yeah like you know officers talk to you mm-hmm. man to man, you know right um you no longer were expected to you know I was still a lance corporal when I went through school and but after after you know you're a sniper in the platoon, you're no longer expected to, you know, pick up cigarette butts or things like that. So just that small improvement in your quality of life, you know, makes a big difference. You know, when you deploy, you get the best birthing areas and, you know, you've, you've, uh, was it a top secret clearance that you get after? Not for me, it was just a secret. Maybe it was just a secret for me as well. You know, I don't remember. But you know, you're privy to a little bit more information, so you know a little bit more about. You know, were you attached to the intel shop because that was yeah,
0: yeah, same. So you you do get to work with the intel guys and figure out a little bit more what's going on in the battle space.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that was definitely um, an improvement on your quality of life as well. Um, And it's a small platoon, so. Um, you know, everything's a little bit easier, a little bit better, better breathing areas, yeah. better training, more opportunities to train. The best opportunity, I don't know if it was like this for you or not, but it seems like the best opportunities for schools uh, or training outside of just you know, your unit training um, was before a med float. Mm. But when you were in, y'all were going straight overseas. Yeah, I never got to go anywhere but the sandbox. Yeah. 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 Um, before a a med float, you know, they do the, the muse do workups and stuff like that. So there was those opportunities for, you know, ranger school and seer school and jump school and, and stuff like that. But I got on after the med. Mm. Um, so all those school opportunities, uh, didn't exist for us. Uh, I would have had to reenlist to go to like ranger school or anything like that with my, my buddy Dills, my buddy James, he did do that. He reenlisted and, They sent him to to ranger school, but not jump school. He went to ranger school. And after he finished, and I think he said he lost like 40 pounds. Dude, I've heard ranger school's legit, man. Yeah, he came out just a a stick.
0: Yeah. and uh, I've heard jump school's absolutely dumb as can be.
1: He had two weeks of leave. He went to jump school and checked himself in. No orders to be there. No. He's like, ah, I can't. I lost my orders. Nice. Acted like he didn't know. You know, he, I, I just know I'm supposed to be here. I don't know where my orders are. Well he played. Went, and the army put him through jump school, so he spent his two weeks of leave and two weeks of army jump school. That's funny. Got his wings. Nice. And, uh, it's hilarious.
0: Nice. <laughs> I got. I was lined up to go to Sear, and I was leaving on Monday. I was packed to go Sunday night, and my platoon sergeant came to my room. And said, "Hey Benton, uh, the regimental commander said every Marine must go through Mojave Viper to deploy, and so we got to pull you guys out of these schools so that you can attend Mojave Viper." And I was livid; like I wanted to go to Seer so bad, yeah. which is probably why I did Naked and Afraid later. <laughs> right? That was <laughs> yeah, my put that was my Seer school. <laughs> yeah, that was my itch, right? And. Uh-huh. So I showed up Monday morning at Mojave Viper, which was, you know, just this kind of two- or three-week desert training thing. And I was like, all right, we're here. Fuck you got for us. Yeah. They're like, oh, who are y'all with? I was like, sniper platoon. Like, yeah, we're going to use y'all as aggressors this week. (laughs) So here's your AKs with blanks. You're going to run around and pretend to shoot at the Marines. Dude, I went from zero to ten, and we fucked those Marines up all week. Like, I— We were, we were doing shit as much as like throwing rocks down staircases (laughs) and just yelling grenade and they would dive out of windows and shit thinking it was a real grenade. Like, what are you doing? That's awesome. And, oh
1: man, I was so upset, but. Yeah, we lost, we lost some opportunities just from stupid shit like that, you know? I guess that's the, the downside of, of, uh. The sniper platoon being in the battalion because you're mm-hmm. always going to get stuck with battalion priorities as opposed right. to stuff you actually need to do for your right. MOS. And there was
0: this weird ambiance of of just they had no idea what to do with us. Yeah. And so we were in charge of our own training, which was awesome. Yeah. We went to the pool a lot for PT. and But because they had no clue what to do with us, they had no clue how to employ us either. And so once you get in country, it's real easy for, you know some of these guys to get stuck in this overwatch rotation of just sitting on a rooftop watching roads because they won't give them a real rns mission or, yeah you know something like
1: that that's what we did in in haiti for the most most part i mean um you know my when i joined the marine corps we were it was the gulf war mm. right but it was over by the time i got out of boot camp you know. really? so I got to be a boot to the guys that went, which right. was no
0: fun, no doubt. Yeah, but, my senior's uh, big claim to fame was an Oki pump. <laughs> <laughs> if you
1: haven't, you're not there. a real marine yeah, case, yeah. you've been to Oki, <laughs> right? Right.
0: Uh, like if you haven't been to Oki, go fill sandbags. Like, <laughs> fucking kidding me? <laughs> okay, okay, <laughs> it's funny. So you went to Haiti. How was that? You know, man, it was. Uh... Was that your first time out of the country?
1: No, no, no. I, I. I'd already been on uh, MedFloat, oh, um, already been to Okie. Um, this was our first actual, you know, mission, yeah. actual deployment. And of course, it, it changed overnight. You know, what you had in Haiti was a uh, a coup where uh, uh, I think his name was Cedrus, General Cedrus led a military coup to overthrow the elected um, president of the country at the time. And so the president had, Uh, Fled to the United States, I believe somewhere and uh, we went in to um, Restore power back to you know, the elected president. Yeah, and uh, you know, we had missions to go in and Do our job, you know one night and then you know the next day um, everything had changed apparently they paid Cedrus something like $20 million to peacefully hand back over the country and wow. and move to Panama. Not a bad business venture. Yeah, no, it worked out well for him. Um, so most of our missions, uh, you know, went from uh, war to peace, you know, overnight. Yeah. And we did a lot of uh, Overwatch missions just, you know. We'd go out in the middle of, in a town in the middle of the night with a patrol and just uh kind of fall off and go set up a, a position somewhere and you we know leapfrog while they moved, yeah, yeah. would
0: you go after Haiti? Did you reenlist? Um, did you get out?
1: No, I decided I was going to get out and go to college fun, you know <laughs> it <laughs> it was a good plan at the time, yeah, um, I was tired of uh Tired of the Marine Corps, tired of being told what to do, tired of, you know. A lot of people don't realize when you go into the service, man, you you give up every personal freedom. Oh, yeah.
0: That you— The freedom that you're told you're fighting for, you no longer have. Yeah. You must be a civilian again to experience that yeah. freedom.
1: Yeah. Which is—it's a good—it persp- gives you a good perspective on life. I mean, it you does, realize you, you how appreciate much— appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. You know, that's that's—you don't take that for granted after losing it, you know. And— so i wanted to experience some of that freedom again yeah man and and i did but what's weird man is i never quite um and i I think it even took me years to uh comprehend um is how much that uh loss affected me that separation from the marine corps you know even uh as serving as a peacetime Marine. Predominantly, um, that separation from your platoon, from your unit, from the Marine Corps uh, has an effect on you. And I, I, had no idea. I didn't think it would. Um, I was, I was excited to go to college, and but I was just miserable. You know, I was, I was upset and depressed, and had no idea why. You know, it was like the, like a, I was mourning a death. But nobody died, and I couldn't figure out what was going on. I remember, I think it was my first day of, of, of class. And, you know, back then, we didn't have cell phones, you know, didn't have emails. Uh, if you called somebody, that was long distance. It was expensive, yeah. right? Yeah. And so we still communicated by that old-fashioned letter, you know, that you actually sit down and write. And uh, I had just gotten a letter from uh, my buddy, Ferrand. Um, who I actually helped train. I remember um, putting him through his in-doc and helping him get ready for sniper school just before I got out. And as I was getting out, they were getting ready to go back to the med. And my platoon got called into, I think it was Liberia, man, where there was uh, an attack on the American embassy there. And they sent my platoon in to, to help secure the embassy. And they got into a, a firefight, my buddy was shot, but stayed in his stayed in his rifle, did his job, wow. took out the enemy and he's writing me about this, and I'm reading this and you know I'm sitting there in class and I'm looking around with these people that are younger than me that don't have you know any clue what you know life outside of high school and 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 now their first day of colleges and like it, it it just overwhelmed me to the point where I, I felt this, this guilt, you know, this unexplainable guilt, like I'm not supposed to be here. I'm supposed to be with my platoon, my brothers, you know, I should have been over there. Yeah. What the hell am I doing? You know, um, which is a weird deal. Guilt's a weird thing. Yeah, yeah it is. You know, and that's, that's kind of a, a simple on the, on that scope of, of, you know, there's, there's, guys and you might have experienced some of this survivor's guilt, you know. Sure. And it's kind of unexplainable, right? Like why do you feel guilty about surviving? Yeah. You know, how do you how do you explain that, you know? But you do, you know? And I would imagine that's a an experience or an emotion that's tenfold what I felt and what I felt was not comfortable at all. Yeah. And made me question my choices and um I knew at some level I was on the path I needed to be, but it didn't stop me from, uh, you know, mourning my, my loss and my separation from the Marine Corps and that, and that life, there's something to be said about, you know, constantly being surrounded by, you know, your brothers that will not only die for you, but kill for you as well. For sure. (laughs) You know,
0: and, uh, I don't think anyone talks about the the fact that you're going to mourn it. No. And, and you're going to go through all these layers of grief. Yeah. And you don't get to skip them. You no. know what I mean? No. And And you do. You lose your family, your identity, your culture, mm-hmm. your job, and your purpose all in one day. Yeah. When they hand you that honorable discharge and send you home, I remember it was super surreal for me because— I got back from Fallujah and it was a foot patrol in the Zidon with the left and right, the turnover snipers. And in 36 hours, I was on ground in 29 Palms and was given a 96 hour libo. And that was a shock. Yeah. And didn't go very well. <laughs> and, and two weeks later, I was sitting on my front porch at my parents' house with no rank. No job, no identity, no a complete start over. Yeah. And it was like I had had this four-year dream from high school to 22. And it was the same chair, the same porch, the same view, but I was a very different person. Yeah, And it took me months to process that and, and figure it
1: out. And yeah, they don't prepare you for that at all. You know, I, you know, I don't. I, I kind of think if, what if somebody would have told me, like, hey, man, this is what's going to happen. This is how you're going to feel. I might have. I, I think I probably went, like, Yeah, right, man. I'm so ready to be a civilian. I for can't sure. For you sure. Know? You. That's all you want is to yeah. get the hell out and, and you never know, the, look back. F- the first few weeks and oh, maybe in the first thirty days for me, it was exciting because it's just like you're on leave. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know when you go on leave, you know you're going back. Right. And this. After that wore out, you know, then it became just the sense of loss Mm -hmm. and the sense of, I don't know where I'm at, where I'm going, what I'm doing, what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. I was back with family that I recognized but had no
0: experience with, friends that I was in high school with but had no experience. no longer relate to. The men that I knew and I loved and I had spent four years living with, eating with, sleeping beside, fighting with, were all gone. Yeah and some of them were stayed in and others were in Florida or North Dakota or where yeah. like you can call yeah. and talk but you're yeah. not
1: seeing each other and life builds up and you forget yeah yeah it's like uh you know you, you you don't necessarily want to but just just the way life plays out everybody just goes their own separate ways and you know life gets a hold of you start building trying to build a new life you know what um, did you try to build oh man i thought i was going to just go to college get a degree but i you know, and I I did well in, well in school. I made excellent grades and, um, I never could figure out what I actually wanted to do with that, you know? And, uh, I was living in New Mexico at the time and I was just tired of trying to, um, survive on, on very little and pay for school and and uh, there wasn't a lot of job opportunities. So I was like, man, I'm going to move to Texas. There's lots of jobs in Texas. And, you know, i find a job, make, make a little more, more money, and, and, you know, get back in school in, in Texas, maybe. And uh, coincidentally, I saw this documentary about firefighters. It never occurred to me to be a firefighter, you know? Yeah. And I was watching this documentary. And I was like, man, that, I think I'd like that. I could do that. So I remember call, I called the, the Austin Fire Department. And I was like, hey, man, are you guys hiring? Like, um, yeah, yeah, we are. Um, and you guys pay people to be firefighters? Yeah, yeah. We, You know, we start you out at this much a year, blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh, wow, man. And so I started applying with the fire department. And it took me... Took me I mean the the process to get hired on in Austin's Dude, I just it's a long one. It's a long one, man. It's like a year-long ordeal. And I think it took me three attempts. I think on my third attempt, I got through the door finally and I actually started the the fire academy. Um and that, you know, became my life. I think it was moving to Austin, man, that honestly is where I was able to finally um, like feel at ease, which would have been a couple of years after getting out of the Marine Corps. So a couple of aimless wandering years before I finally was able, got to a place where I felt like I can plant some roots here. You know, I can I can start to build a life here. And uh, so that's what I did, you know. How was that? How long were you with the Austin Fire Department? 18 years, I think. Yeah. What was that like for you? Uh, You know, it's... A lot of guys... um, Say when they they would get a call and, you know, go get on scene or whatever, that they'd have this uh, huge um, adrenaline rush and, and stuff like that. I never quite felt that. Me know? either, man. I tried the it fire just, department thing too, and it just didn't fit. Just wasn't that exciting for yeah. me for some reason. I mean, I enjoyed the, a lot of it I enjoyed and a lot of it I didn't enjoy, quite honestly, man. I think I, I think I had you probably prematurely burnt out, um, before, uh, Life made decisions for me that I wasn't making. Yeah. If that makes sense. Sure. I think I probably prematurely burned out, and probably should have been looking for something else to do before I was forced to look for. Well, something at eighteen else years, you were super close to retirement. Yeah, so that's the and, thing. And like that's the kind close. of thing you kind of look at that pension, and and you're like, well, you yeah, know, I can do a few more years. I can do four more years. You know, because you know, I had a family to support. And, eighteen years is an investment it is it is two know. three four five more is is worth the grind, yeah, why didn't you finish it out um man that's a that's a long story in itself and kind of led me down a a very dark path um I don't know if I was depressed, but uh i i got into some trouble i got into uh i was accused of uh a crime that I did not commit and Sometime later, actually convicted of a crime I, I did not commit, and that, you know, was like a two-year span, um, you know, all of which—and all of which, in all of that time, I, you know, I was still working with the fire department. The fire department actually invest did an, their own investigation and determined no wrongdoing on my part. Um, I wasn't even disciplined for being arrested, you know, which that's pretty typical. Just being arrested is totally. getting yeah. disciplined. Yeah, yeah. Um, but now they investigated and, and found no wrongdoing. But, um, you know, I I wasn't prepared for court. I didn't think it would be a big deal. You know, I thought I would go in there and tell the judge what happened and that'd be the end of it. I was never worried about it. And you know, to the point where I would totally ignore any kind of plea deal offering or you know anything like that. And I was like, oh, why, why would I? Why would I? Uh, you know, give the admit prosecutor to, a win yeah, when why, I'm not guilty. Yeah, why would I admit to doing something that I didn't do? You know? Yeah. Um. But you know, had I done that, things. Probably would have been very different. <laughs> That's the leverage that they pulled. That's the leverage they got, man. Nobody really quite understands the, the criminal justice system until they get wrapped up in it. For sure. And it is like quicksand, man. You know, it gets a hold of you, and it's hard to, to get out of that system. What did that do to your mind? That uh, is probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to go through in my life. You know, just the injustice of it, the—you know, we have this—the idea is that you're innocent until proven guilty, right? But the truth is, you get arrested for something, everybody just assumes you're guilty. They do. Right? And so that was very hard to do. I mean, it's humiliating. You know, it's embarrassing. Um, But then to get a conviction, you know— and it's like, man, your life is over. You know, I have to wear this albatross around my neck for the rest of my life, you know. And the consequences, you know, weren't dire. It's not like I had to do jail time or anything like that. It's not like I went to prison. And God, man, I feel <laughs> you hear those stories about guys who spent 20 years in prison for something that they didn't do or finally, you know, exonerated after spending a lifetime. Dude, I'm not strong enough to endure that, man. I barely got through what I got through, you know. I was so broken and beaten and just um man, absolutely terrified to leave my house. You know, I felt I felt like I had been um my entire spirit had been just removed from my body, you know? And it It caused problems, but nothing compared to what some people have to endure. And I'm like, man, if I had it, I I don't think I could survive that. But anyway, um, just the conviction alone—I guess the biggest consequence—is what is that the fire department put me off without pay? But they put me off without pay indefinitely, right? So it's like you're not fired, but you know you can't work here, and you're not work, yeah. Well, what's we the we know you didn't do it. We're not going to fire you, but you know, we can't pay you because of this conviction. You know? Right, you can't yeah, yeah. So, all right. so um, you know, I took I took my retirement. You know, and it's it's uh, in the fire service you know you can retire a lot younger than you know you know you don't want a bunch of 65 year old firefighters sure. you know so our pension system works a little bit different and in, in in Austin we were vested after 10 years so you could you could retire after 10 at 45 if you wanted to and so you know i took i took the pension that i had and um which was you know it was a lot more than what i thought it was it wasn't bad and uh tried to navigate you know, through life at that point, with a, once again, it's kind of like getting out of the Marine Corps, where you you feel lost, you don't have a purpose. Um, you know, your culture's gone. Well, it, it wasn't even on your terms. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah, a it whole other my choice that makes, it a, that makes it a whole different deal. It's a whole other grieving and, uh, process. And that that kind of helped. That that kind of led to a to that spiral. Um, you know, we had discussed that before, where you know, I I felt like. Uh, my life wasn't my own. I had no control over it. Somebody else was pulling the strings and I was just a puppet, yeah. you know? And it, it was just a series of of life events. We have talked about that before and I didn't put that
0: context together of you of your wrongful conviction and feeling like you're just this puppet for a prosecutor to build his career on and get a win. And then this feeling of
1: this life isn't for me. This is, must be for somebody else. Yeah, exactly. And that's yeah, it's a horrible feeling, man. I it's, bet. You know, it's. there's a lot of comfort when you can uh, make plans, set goals, and work towards achieve and achieve those goals. And um, I was down that road, and I, I saw that, and that was all taken away. The decision um, was out of my hands. Um, life decided— that that was not the path for me yeah. and i was going to take another path you know and what path i had no idea i was totally totally lost you know um you go through life and you come across these these setbacks and and you can look back on that and see how um the difficulty that you faced led to the outcome of where you're at now and looking back in my life i could always see things worked out for the best you can't see that at the time but after after some time passes and you realize hey it actually worked out for the best, and so I tried to come at it from from that angle. But it was still difficult to do, man. And I was, I was just uh, even after years had passed, and um, life had improved. Um, my circumstances were stable. Um, my family life had improved things were yeah, i don't know if you could say on the up and up but you know it was manageable it was survivable um, but i was still left just feeling unhappy you know sad i don't even know if i could say sad man i don't know if i felt anything at all it was more of a numbness you know to life questioning life and what life means and you know what my place in this life is and, um, you know, I would say I wasn't suicidal at any point, but I certainly wished for death, you know, death seemed like a, um, it would be more of a relief just to get out of the monotony of, of a life that I felt, um, at the time, was just wasted, you know? Everything that I'd worked for, everything that I'd planned, everything that I had, you know, set out to do was taken away. And I had no idea where to go or, or what to do other than just, you know. How'd you work through you that? Can. Um, You know, I think I tried different things, therapy and, you know, stuff like counseling and stuff help? like that. I can't say it did, man. Um, I would, uh, I think it kind of made things worse. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I, I'm not disparaging therapy. I'm not, you know, uh, I think it works for a lot of people. Um Digging up all that stuff to yeah, make you did, feel better, right? Yeah, things, man, it didn't make me feel better. Me either. You know? Either. Um, you know, there's things you see in the fire department, you know, horrific things. You, you're showing up on, one, you're showing up on somebody's worst day of their life, right? And a lot of times, I would say most of the time, it's after the fact. It's, it's after it's already happened, you know? Um, you know, there's one, one year in particular, I think it was the— the highest number of traffic fatalities in Texas. And I remember this this it seemed like every single shift we were pulling mangled bodies out of out of cars, you know, just these horrific car wrecks. And it was like every shift, man, and it was it just the the, the gory mangled lifeless corpses and every once in a while we could get um, get somebody back, get a heartbeat right get them to the hospital but you never know what what happened to them what I always the, felt you know that it mean? was so
0: weird that you know we do chest we do CPR we'd pull somebody out of a car we had such a, a pivotal influence on that person's life for an hour. And then never see them again. Yeah, I was like, I never I never find like out to go how the to the hospital was. and find out what yeah. happened to this yeah. person, right? Like, never find out that how the story had an impact on my heart. Yeah, but I have no clue if that person lived or died. Right, and I'm supposed to just carry on, put it in the box, and just keep moving. And that box gets fucking
1: heavy. Yeah, yeah, it does. Well, I remember that year in particular. That was that was difficult. I remember getting to work one day, and I had to stop, man, and and just breathe and I was thinking if I have to see one more dead body today, man, I just, I'm going to lose my shit. Like I don't, I'm sick of seeing dead bodies. And, uh, fortunately shortly after that, it seemed to subside and, you know, it wasn't as in as intense. That was just a very, I don't know what it was about that period and like, you know, just, just the flow of things, I guess. But um, you compartmentalize those things, sure. But they, they have an effect. Man, I, I was talking to a buddy, just the other day, who's uh, still with the fire department, and uh, he was talking to me about um, taking a staff position, you know, doing building inspecting or something yeah, yeah. like that. As he's getting close to his retirement date or when he wants to retire. And uh, he's like, man, I'm, I'm just tired of seeing dead people, you know, because it's it's car wrecks, it's suicides, it's stabbings, it's shootings. It's, you know, and it's, like you said, it's after the fact, you know, you're just dealing with the aftermath, you know, you're, you're soaking up the emotions of, you know, the family that's affected, you know, um, and you just don't always know. Even those ones you're able to at least get to the hospital with the heartbeat, you just don't ever know how it turns out. Hell, it wasn't until um, I was out of the department, took my pension, and was you know, on to whatever else that I found out I had two Phoenix Awards. Mm. You know, a Phoenix Award is yeah. when you save somebody's life doing CPR. I got one my first year as a fireman. Did, did you really? Yeah. See, after 18 years, I never even knew I had one. I had, had a couple. I was like, oh, man.
0: You find I did out make they a live. difference, man.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I saved two of them. Yeah. I used to tell people, I've done hundreds of CPRs and never saved one. <laughs> I can't say that anymore. Yeah. Well, Got good. two at least. Yeah. What did you do to work through that? You know, it just, honestly, it didn't bother me that much unless I talked about it. So, mm. you know, therapy didn't really, I couldn't see, therapy just seemed to stir things up, man. It didn't really seem to... uh so alleviate anything. Yeah, no, anything or- no.
0: It helped me to organize my thoughts, yeah. to have someone kind of force me to talk about it some. But I remember a PTSD evaluation through the VA that took me months to get over because they wanted to know yeah. what's wrong with you. And and it, it sucked. Like I it man, it took me months to get over that and to feel like I got back to where I was when I walked in the door. <laughs> You know, like, I had to build, climb myself back out. Yeah. And I was like, fuck that, man. I ain't doing that again. Nah. Nah. Some things are better left unsaid, I think, man, you know? We've been dodging the elephant in the room because we both know what you did. Yeah.
1: Let's talk about that. Well, that uh, that was thanks to you, man. You know, we had had conversations about psychedelics and psychedelic therapy and yeah. Um, I don't know, years ago, years ago. And last year, you did um, a retreat in which you got to partake in some psychedelic therapy yourself. I did. And you told me about it. And I was like, man, that's awesome, man. I'd love to do that. And you're like, well, you want to go? And I was like, Well, yeah, but, you know, there's no way I could. I can't, you know, I don't have the money to, you know, leave the country and the time and, you know, my wife is probably going to be like, why, you know, we can't do this. And you're like, no, man, it's right here. It won't cost you a thing. And you gave me the contact information and set me up. And uh, it was about this time last year that I had my first psychedelic, experience with the uh, the healing warrior retreat yeah
0: yeah and uh i just got back on sunday for my second so it's still raw for oh, me we're
1: gonna have to talk about that i don't know how much time we have but we're gonna have to go
0: into that a little bit so <clears throat> can. I'll, I'll say tell, this tell me what what that experience
1: did for you i that changed my life really that changed my life it was uh I mean, the the psychedelics themselves, the um, psilocybin and then uh, 5-MeO-DMT were both very different, both psychedelics, but both very different experiences. I think the the psychedelics, so you get to the retreat, meet everybody. um, They walk you through what you're going to do, what to expect, um, and then, you know, you take a what they call a heroic dose of psilocybin given to you, and um, they mix it up in, like, some juice. You take that, go lay down on a mat, and lay back, and, you know— <laughs> Surrender. Yeah, surrender. You just—you're on a ride at that point. And for me, I remember the feeling of coming out of that and just feeling clean. You know, like I had dropped— uh, a hundred pounds of 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 negative emotions you know from my soul um it It changed my life, it made me excited about life again, you know it made i think going into it um you know you said intentions, and one of the things that i I wanted to get out of it was just being able to feel joyful again to, to feel happy, you know, it'd been so long since I'd felt any emotion other than just anger, Yeah, you know, um, that I really couldn't remember what just being joyful was like. And that treatment gave that back to me, you know, it made me excited to live again. And, uh, it was exhausting, but it like it, it purged my body of the negativity, the bad emotions, the stuff I was carrying. You know, I was able to let it all go, and then uh, that's what the the psilocybin was like, um, and then the the five meo DMT was, I would say, the most profound spiritual experience of my life where, uh, you know, it's hard to explain, but I, I feel Ineffable. like, yeah, <laughs> I feel like I went to another realm of existence that was, it was more real than, you know, what this is. It was, it was, it was the most beautiful and intense, overpowering, blissful experience of my life and you know I got to have a conversation with an entity whatever whether that was my own psyche or whether that was God or what I have no idea Um, it doesn't matter because the impact whatever that was 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 meaningful yeah and um, you know I, I got to have a discussion about Things I was concerned about, and I came out of that without a, a worry, you know. And uh, it's like my my faith in in this existence had been restored. My faith in humanity, my faith in you know my own life, my own existence had been restored and given back to me. And I got to experience joy, and I got to get excited about life again, you know. Um, and so. That was a year ago, and I still feel the same. That's you know? beautiful. Yeah, I still feel excited about life. Um, I I'm much more capable of taking things as they come uh, as opposed to getting attached to a rigorous you know way of how things are supposed to be. you know It's very different to go
0: through your life with intention as opposed to expectation. Yes. I intend exactly. to have a great day today, Yeah. or I intend to have fun with my son this afternoon. If I come at it with the expectation of I have to have a great day today, or I have to have fun with my son today, if anything happens, if he has a meltdown, if I get a flat tire, anything happens in that day, that expectation has now gone to disappointment.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I can do
0: it with intent and go where it leads me yeah. because it's okay if I don't quite get what I intended. I right. tried, and we made the intention, and I tried to hold my mindset toward my goal for
1: the day. But if I set that expectation, the odds of it being a disappointment, yeah,
0: and ex, ex, through the roof.
1: Expectations often lead to, to disappointments Absolutely. because, you know— uh, Things other people don't often meet our expectations. Well, they don't care what your expectations. Are. You know, so so when you get attached, <clears throat> you have this attachment to an expectation. You're likely to be disappointed. Yeah. You know, and if you if you allow that to affect, you know, your brain space, if you allow that to affect your day, um, then you've lost. You know, you've 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 handed out over that power to. Outside circumstances, right? where if, if your intention is, um, if you're able to make it, make it an intention without holding on to an expectation, you know, you're able to pivot better. Yeah, you know? for sure. You're able to, you know, what they teach us in the Marine Corps, you know, adapt, overcome, improvise. Sure. Right, different context, yeah. but it can be applied um, to life in that you let go of those expectations. And you just allow yourself to experience live and kind of go with the flow you know i think it's kind of more of an eastern philosophy you maybe know maybe so but um it's what they tell you when you go into the psychedelics yeah
0: if you do it just with an expectation the odds of getting what you want are almost zero yeah, yeah you're not going to just gonna go get into it with an intention of what you might like to receive yeah. and and see what
1: happens and you'll get what you need yeah. And on top of that, if you go into it with this ex- expectation and try to hold on to that and fight against what it's showing you or giving you, it's gonna make it worse. Yeah. Yeah. That won't be fun. You have to just roll with it and see where it takes you. Yeah. You know, so maybe that's the lesson for life as well. You know, you gotta roll with it and see where it takes you. You just got back, man. Are you still feeling that kind of glow, that afterglow oh, of yeah. the
0: effects? Oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm really trying to integrate better this time and, and do meditation I did one this morning and I listened to a song that, that had significant meaning for my wife uh, and thus it has for me having heard the meaning it had for her and and it was great man the experience was it, it almost overshadows the first time I went the first time I went I felt the weight like you said everything I felt cleansed I felt like I had a fresh start this time, I felt like it gave me a perspective. And, and it ties straight into this podcast, Stay Zero. Yeah. Because before I, I had done that, I didn't know how, what that was going to mean to me. You know, zero fucks. Like, you, you've got to have this war mentality. And you do have to have that when you're in war. You can't be somewhere else. Right. You've got to have zero fucks. What's the mission? We're doing what we have to do up into including my death. And that's what's necessary of you. But I don't know personally where that applies to my life as a civilian. Because I can't have zero fucks about my wife and kid. You know what I mean? But for me, I experienced a total loss of self. I don't know if I was caught up in the moment and just forgot who the hell I was. But around the time of, of coming back down from the psilocybin, I was reintroduced and reminded of myself and it was this just like flash of like your name is Zach I was like wow. oh shit I, I do have a name I'm called Zach <laughs> and and I was like I I have a body and like I pulled the eye mask off and I saw my hands in like 1080p times 12 right yeah. <laughs> and I'm like I recognize these hands these are this is my body this is the body I've been put in yeah and then it was like, well, what else? And I have a wife and her name is Angela and I, I have a son and his name is Mattis. And that was immediately all that I cared about. And I was like, where are they? Like, oh, they're at my house where my parents are at. My Carla and Steve are, are my parents and they raised me on this planet, wow. right? And and then it, it didn't stop. I, the introduction just continued with, you work at the FTW ranch. And I'm like, I don't care. Like, get that out of my way. Like, bring me to my family. Yeah. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. You have a podcast. I'm like, damn it. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you're working on a movie script. Don't care. You have Facebook, and then it was just like, oh. <laughs> and, and it's like Instagram, and all this shit was just noise that was building up, and it was covering yeah. my family, and I didn't know what the hell that meant, and until you know it kind of wore off, and you know you're wobble legged, you look like a baby deer trying to walk, yeah. And I tried to leave a little bit early because I remember what you were saying. <laughs> like, everything's still kind of moving, but I have my wits. Right. And I walked down the road to this this nature area where there's a, a rock waterfall, but the riverbed's dry. And there's this big oak tree and these pool lounge chairs, and there's nobody around. It's just me and the birds yeah. and the you know beautiful nature scene. And I kept like, stay zero, stay zero it just kept repeating in my mind for some reason like what does that mean stay zero and for me it, it was when i am perfectly aligned with the things in my life that mean the most in my death the only things i cared about were my family were my wife and my son right that volume knob and that noise in my life is at zero when i pick up my phone it goes to 1 yeah when i click on facebook It goes to two when I'm arguing with a stranger over some bullshit that means nothing. it shits at 10. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I I filled my life with all these distractions and all these things and all this noise to keep me entertained, to keep me numb from the shit that I didn't like to distract me. I'm just playing in all this noise. And when I get to the end of my life, I'm going to turn around and wonder where the hell it went. And I had lost all that time. Wow. with the two people that meant the most. Yeah. And that was a gift. I went me- I, I went home the next night, because uh, they take your phones, right? I went right. home the next night. I went through my Instagram. If I didn't know you, or you weren't involved with farming, or something that I'm doing to improve my life, yeah, you got eliminated. Yeah. It's getting rid of the noise. Getting rid of the noise, man. Yeah. Staying at zero as much as I possibly can to ensure that I'm maximizing my experience here.
1: Man, that is an interesting perspective on that. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. Um, Would you say that your experience this time around was uh, more of a spiritual? Oh, yes.
0: I became very aware that this is just the body that I've been given to experience this life. It wasn't me. I had to be reminded that I was in it and I just don't know what happens when you die. But that was what I felt that I'll leave that body behind and and wherever I'll go, I don't know. But I had that that sudden appreciation of time and I just wanted more of it. And then I was given it back and told, quit listening to the noise.
1: That's fascinating, man. Um, was there anything in particular that made you want to go back to the retreat? was was there something that you were man, I had regressed.
0: I had regressed, and I know like my wife and I had fought about how much time I was spending on my phone. And I'm like, woman, I am an adult. I am a grown (laughs) ass man. We ain't doing nothing. If I want to sit here and scroll through my phone and talk to anybody the hell I want to about whatever I want to, like, what are you doing, policing my time here? You know. And she got it before I did. You know, and and I'm really grateful that I received it because when I told her that, she cried. Really? And she's like, I've I've felt that for a very long time and had no idea how to communicate it to you because I felt like she was trying to control me. Yeah. And, and I had gotten super reactionary with my son and I don't want to be that way. Right. And he, you know, dad, do this with me. I'm like, man, I got shit to do. Like, I'll play with you when I'm done with this. And then we're playing, but I'm not there. I'm thinking about what else I need to do. I'm like, okay, we'll do this three times and then I got to get back to work. And if I keep doing that, he'll stop asking. And so we played football last night for an hour and a half. And I bruised my feet and I'm covered in stickers <laughs> and I'm sweaty as shit. But it's just me and him playing football. Yeah. Because he's first football practices
1: today. Yeah, and he was just super and excited he was super about it. Ex- he's wearing yeah. his cleats when he yeah. saw you this morning. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: And he's he's five. And if I don't take that time to do what he wants to do, because it's not for me, I'm maintaining that relationship. Right. Because if I ever stop saying, Yes, I'll play with you, he'll stop asking. Yeah. And then I'll be 50 and he'll be 30 and he'll have a family and I'll wonder why he only
1: comes every other Christmas. Right. And that's true. You know, I'm going I through you,
0: it right now with my own dad. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think that when I look back at any, hardship in my life anything that i faced that was difficult or any kind of uh let down or disappointment there's nothing that i regret there's nothing that i would change mm. because everything that's happened to me is what's made me who i am today um the only the only gr- regrets in life that i have um are not spending enough time with the people i love You know, not my kids are grown now, and luckily we're still all close, and I get to see them often. Um, But to go back in time when they were five, you know, and uh, play with them again would be amazing. But that being said, you know, I'm excited about having grandkids someday. You know what I mean? Dude, that's round two, I think. yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah, I think that the only thing when the older you get, the only regrets when you look back are, you know, not those quality time, not that investment in quality time because you're working so hard, you know, to try to do this, that, and the other. But at the end of the day, at the end of your t- life, at the end of your time here, you know, the only thing that really matters is those personal connections with your friends and your family and your your wife and your kids and you know, the people that actually mean something, the people that you actually care about that actually care about you, you know, that's the the only thing that you can regret, you know. The only thing I so, wanted. Yeah. That's the only thing that you can um, look back on and say, man, I, I wish I would have had some more time to do this or enjoy that. And, you know, so any time going forward, you have to be able to capture those moments, right? And 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 stay on track with that that mentality. Like, oh, I need to put my phone down and be present, absorb this. Turn the TV it. off and play a game. Yeah, you, you know? know. So, and that's it's hard to always remind you yourself of. It's very hard when you feel like you know time is infinite. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can always do something tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You can always catch up next week.
0: Right. I had this very weird change of verbiage from. And I don't know why it even popped it in my head because I always ask, my mom, what are you gonna do today? And for whatever reason, when I got out, it was, what am I going to do with this day of life? Which was a different question. Mm-hmm. It was acknowledging the existence of it as life while also the fact that there's then death and it will end and you will have a last one. So what are you gonna do with this one? Yeah. And it ain't watch TV. That's a big difference, huh? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's very—we haven't turned our television on, and we've agreed to when our house is done building, we're not putting one in it. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. That's, uh, that's probably not a bad idea at all. If I need to see something, I can see it on my phone or my computer. I don't need a giant big screen television for us all to zone out on.
1: Yeah. We've got TVs for our entertainment, of course, but yeah. we, we got rid of cable mm. a long time ago, so I don't have cable. I don't watch the news— you know, it's
0: all what you do with it. You know, yeah. YouTube can yeah. be toxic. It can be a gift. It's what, how it's, you yeah. use it. It's what you want to look at. And, and I'm sure we'll end up getting one. We are just talking big right now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so going back to the retreat, um, I guess Scotty was there. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: Cindy. Man, I had an experience that I'm going to be real vague with it because it's not mine to share, but it absolutely wrecked me and and it changed and it blew my mind a little bit um i i went and sat for somebody at the retreat uh he's a a retired navy seal and he had the experience that he had and during it i heard him say like what the fuck have i done and i got scared for him like did you do too much? Did you, cause this is new for me. Like, and I'm like, uh Oh, <laughs> and then I heard him say like, I killed all those people and I'm so fucking sorry. And he just cried and I felt that. Yeah. And I started crying right beside him. I tried, I held my bearing cause I didn't want to have an influence and But I, I felt those words, I've said those words and I felt that desperation in his voice and that's, that sorrow and that pain. And when he, he pulled out, he uh, pulled out, when he came out of it, (laughs) um, he crawled over to me and he could see my face and his face Wow! and he held my hands and we were both like Indian style, just face to face. And we leaned forward and put our heads together and just cried together for the Marines that we had both lost. And he had expressed a story of uh, a team or a group that had gone down in a, in a vehicle and never come up out of the water. A whole truck of Marines were, were dead and drowned. Wow. And I didn't express my connection with that toward him. I, this was for him, not for me. But... I went to December 1st, 2005, where 10 of my friends were killed in the same day. Wow. And processing that has been years yeah. of survival guilt, like yeah. you said, of confusion, of anger, like all the grieving steps. I stayed at anger for a long time.
1: Yeah. Anger is the easiest emotion, I think. I yeah, For me, it definitely for is. For sure. For sure. Um,
0: forgiveness and acceptance. I don't know. I mean, I should I should work on that and get there. I think I've accepted it. It's a hard one to forgive because I feel like it was completely out of stupidity that it occurred. Um, but yeah, man, we sat from across from each other, and we and he held my hands, and our heads were together, and we both just cried for that loss, and then went back and had dinner. And
1: now, was this on the same day that you had had? Um your psilocybin
0: no this was the day after i had done 5 meo earlier that day Uh Uh, this was late that night oh okay and so man and then he looked at me and just started to kind of vent and he's like man those marines looked up to us so much our gear our our weapons our budget for lack of better words because that's what it was yeah And he's like, man, we never left the wire without ISR flying over, a gunship to protect us, the best jammers to block the IEDs, level seven armored vehicles, you know, every gun system you could imagine. We were untouchable. And they worshipped us. And they would go out and walk the streets of that city with a rifle. Yeah. And that was it. Wow. And he was in awe of the courage that it took for them to do that because he had every asset the government could muster yeah. before he ever left the wire. And here was this platoon of 18, 19-year-old Marines. Here's your rifle. Go pick a fight. Yeah, And we were used as bait just like, I mean, we all were. We all know what that was like. Yeah, It was a, a show of force or a patrol of, I forget the verbiage, but just be out there. Right. See if somebody will shoot at Just you. See you. if somebody will shoot at you. Yeah, yeah. And the fact that he had that appreciation and perspective of them, because in my mind it's like, dude, you guys are, and we're, yeah, you know, way down here. But he didn't think that at all. Yeah, he wasn't. An, an he arrogant. was impressed by the young men out there doing it with less,
1: with next to nothing, but a rifle. Wow, that's and a that interesting blew my perspective mind. for for somebody to have on. His uh, his pedigree, <laughs> yeah, his yeah, pedigree. Yeah. Which, you know, obviously a very emotionally and emotionally intelligent person. Yes, and and probably was not um, a selfish person at all. Yes, yeah, yeah. Sounds like he had a lot to work through. So, did you get to talk to him more after that? Did he come out of that feeling like he had? gained something or maybe been able to you know yeah i don't know. get rid of some things
0: i don't know what that experience did for him it wrecked me in the moment yeah. and so i was just there to to listen to him and then try to bottle all that emotion back up yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's like i had just yeah. gone through you know my own yeah. experience trying to become a better father and then right. you know kind of got thrown back into uh you know that loss that that i experienced on december 1st and i wasn't ready for it no. it wasn't like nothing from my psychedelic experiences ever really had to do with military hmm. Not, none of it did uh and i don't know why i'm sure that stuff's coming because i don't intend to stop yeah uh but but no we didn't talk too much uh he could see that i was pretty upset too yeah And we just hugged, man. We don't need to. We just just we just gave each other a hug and we held each other and and cried for five or ten minutes, and then we were both starving, and so we went and ate dinner. And how
1: many how many people were at the retreat this time?
0: I don't know how many were. uh, uh, There was I think I think ten or twelve is usually uh, maybe ten or twelve is usually the the participant number, Um, and so there's quite a few staff there to help as well. Yeah. For obvious reasons.
1: <laughs> yeah. Now, so that was your um, seven experience. Mm-hmm. You said you did seven this time? I did seven grams, yeah. Wow. It was beautiful. Now, how was the 5-MeO
0: DMT? Did you do that the next day, the following I, day? I did. I did. And the first time I did that at my first retreat, that was one of the worst experiences of my life. I felt like I was laying at the bottom of the ocean, Drowning. And I've almost drowned a couple of times in my life. And that panic, that yeah. fear of I'm not going to make it to the surface of the water, this is the last yeah. of my life, right? Yeah. That hypoxic panic. I felt that energy and that feeling. But I could breathe and it didn't go away. And so this time, you know, I, I, I took the first inhale and i laid back it was a very light just to kind of reintroduce yourself to the medicine and i sat right. up and i was like yeah there it is again um i was like bro i gotta be honest like i really struggle with this energy
1: it's interesting what different uh dmt experiences sure. we both had. Sure. very different for sure um
0: and and he looked at me and he's like that's okay man just surrender yeah and and I, I probably took a couple minutes and was just like, you know what, <sighs> fuck it. And I just told God, take me. And I took as big a drag as he told me to. And I laid back, and, and, it, and it went from fear to bliss. And I, I was laying on the bed with the eye mask on just in complete, like, submission and I felt his hand on my chest and him whisper in my ear, do you need another one? And I just nodded and I was like, yeah, cause I'm still here, I'm just feeling it. And then he placed it in my mouth and I took another one and I didn't go anywhere, I didn't see anything but I rocketed into this feeling of of, of love and, and bliss. Just It was just this most euphoric, thing I've ever experienced. Yeah. And I don't really know a whole lot of what to make of that at the time because I didn't, you know, ever disassociated or, or whatever, like a lot of people experience. I mm. felt like I knew there's more here, but getting over my fear was the achievement.
1: Yeah. And this is submission a one. was the you achievement. You feel like you're going to die. <laughs> for sure. Yeah.
0: And so I felt content in accepting that. Right. And and I'll I'll go further whenever it presents itself again. Yeah. I don't need to ask for more. Yeah. I was I got the message from the psilocybin that absolutely overwhelmed me and and changed my whole perspective on my existence. That's awesome, man. And so I almost didn't even want to do the five. I was like, I got something that I truly came here for. I don't even care what that has to say.
1: Right. Um,
0: but I was there and I wasn't gonna, you know, just not try. Cause I wanted to see if I could get through that feeling and, and I could and I did. And I was I was grateful for that and I was help, happy to accept that and, and just move on.
1: That's good, man. I think you had sounds like my brother, um, who was a police officer, and his good buddy, who was a police officer, uh, went—was it the beginning? I think it might have been the beginning of this year. Maybe it was the end of last year. I don't know. I can't keep up with with time anymore, man. Mm -hmm. Every day just kind of blends together. But my brother sounds like he had a similar experience on the DMT, but— he just explained it as like this overwhelming feeling of bliss and this feeling of connected mm. con- being connected to the universe yeah you know it's like um you have your your place in something that's so big and you know you're welcome here you yeah know? yeah um you're I mean, you're meaningful you're meaningful to this universe yeah it's kind of Kind of feeling didn't necessarily have any visuals or anything like like I did, or even his his good buddy who um, never quite got over the loss of his his parents. They they died um, unexpectedly, and um, I think within six months of each other. Oh. And when he uh, did the did the five meo DMT, he said he got to go talk to him, you know, and and sit down and have conversations with them. And, you know, his mom told him, you need to suck it up and get over our death and live your life. <laughs> Do you think Stop we're going to live forever? Us, you know? Yeah. We're yeah. fine. Go yeah. go live your life. You know, don't use us as, as an excuse to, you know. You're still there. Yeah. Enjoy it. Yeah. Keep writing your story. You know, don't Don't use us as an excuse to not live, you know? So I thought that was interesting. I hope that happens for me someday
0: because there are a lot of— uh, conversations I would love to have, uh, but you don't get
1: to pick, right? No, no. So and, you get what you get, and that's right. Um, you move along with like, it, like we were saying before. You can't have that expectation because, right, right. You know, you're just going to disappoint yourself. And it's only, you know, I had such an amazing experience the first time I tried the DMT. You know, I'm almost would be scared to try it again because I, I'm probably not going to have that same amazing, you know, or I might. Who knows? I am know, not know, I'm at this point, man, I am not opposed to um, anything in that realm of exploration. You know, I think it drastically, I think it can drastically improve the lives of, you know, veterans and first responders that have to deal with, uh, you know, death and, and PTSD. And um, I think it can drastically change lives. And stop the, you know, or the, the high veteran suicide that that people are. Yeah. I they try to they try to you know help, and a lot of that help is simply just medicating, medicating.
0: And that medication prevents you from doing these retreats. Yeah. that's the killer, man. Is I that have, is that the is that the deal? If you're on SSRI's, a, it blocks it. It won't let anything happen.
1: Oh, is that right? Yeah. So. Um, Oh man, I think a a buddy of mine that I was telling you about earlier who's who's in a dark yeah. place right now. Yeah, um, it's in fact it's my buddy Dills, the the guy that we took the indoc together and and went through sniper school together, and you know you, he's, just, he's in a dark place. I think he is on uh, an antidepressant.
0: That's that's oh, it breaks my heart because I've had so many reach out and be like, I I need this so badly. And my only question is, are you on an SSRI? And so many of them say yes. And I'm like, man, you have got to be off one month for every year that you've been on. And That's a long time. Dude. And my last friend that called me is like, dude, I've been on this for 10 years. I was like, you're going to have to get off for probably at least one. Yeah. And he's like, I tried last spring or whatever. And I got to nine days before I had a complete mental breakdown.
1: I think and like, that's, how do I
0: help these people? Yeah. Because the pharmaceutical companies are literally blocking this treatment from being an option. Yeah. By getting them on that stuff so quickly and then keeping them
1: on it. Yeah. And you know, you'd ask me what I, what I had tried earlier in I, we talked about therapy and stuff. I did try an antidepressant. Did you? Yeah. And it definitely helped, right? Yeah. Because, because you know, you you don't just wake up every day and say, I want to die today. Yeah. But you but it does numb you. It right. numbs you. It doesn't necessarily make you feel better. Right. Um, you just don't feel worse. Right. You know, and I think that's the thing um, these guys talk about. When they get off of it, they just feel worse. They want to end it. Absolutely. It's you not know? so convenient I for the see pharmaceutical company. Yeah. yeah. But at the same time, man, you're not feeling anything. You're a zombie. You're just yeah. numb to everything, you know, mentally, physically. Right. It just doesn't it's 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 a band-aid, is all it is. It's just a band-aid. It's not helping you live your best life. And it's amazing what the psilocybin does.
0: I don't need like they call it magic. I it must be. Because yeah. I felt like I have heard baptism described. However, I wasn't just dipped in water and told I'm new. Yeah. Like I was reset, yeah. physically, emotionally, spiritually, completely washed clean, and given a, a, a new start. That's how I with felt. Me too, yeah. man. Yeah. And that's how everybody at the retreat responded yeah. when you know we do the check-ins. Like, how are you feeling today? You know, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Yeah. And as the retreat goes on. It's incredible the transitions that you hear from people because everyone there is is there for trauma.
1: Well I and I, I have never experienced such an immediate, profound experience mm. that that you can and it does. It sounds like magic. You it know? does. It's, yeah. it's any technology that's Especially technology that's not totally understood is magic until it is, right? Right, right. And so, you know, yeah, it's magic right now, but right. it can also just be a technology that we haven't figured out how to utilize to the best of its benefit.
0: There's a lot of legislation that's being moved around. There's a lot of, of people having these conversations, yeah. and I'm a lot really of glad studies out to there. hear it. Yeah, and I hope that the pharmaceutical companies get their fingers out of the politics enough that it's presented as an option for people. Yeah. And I, I don't know, I've, religion has always been hard for me. I've, I've always felt like there was something to it that was malevolent. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe it's just the business side of it, sure. right? But I've come to believe that whatever God put us here knew the capacity of man for pain and for trauma and put that stuff here for us as medicine to heal us. Yeah, that's just
1: my head <laughs> I, I would agree with that totally man um, you know there's there's no telling what the potential for psychedelics is if it's ever fully realized and fully studied and, and fully you know developed into what it could be but just what it like historically you know for thousands and thousands and thousands of years you know mankind has used it to improve their situation mm. you know and then um, then it was demonized and, and made illegal and, you know, everything else. And now it's like you're seeing, seeing this gleam of hope that it's going to be reintroduced, you know, back into society, you know. And it's I think it's something that can truly make the world a better place, um, you know, by uh, yeah, cleaning us and allowing us to live again.
0: Well, imagine if everyone tomorrow had that perspective of, Man, the news, social media, all this crap, all this so much noise in my life that I just need to stop paying it like my family's who I care about. Yeah. You know, whatever whatever, you know, their priority is, but it's not the noise. Right. I think it would change the world. I think it would change our culture entirely. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to see a holiday like Christmas where everybody resets. Everybody does a dude. Yeah. A nationwide reset.
1: A nation. (laughs) Yeah, New, Year, would New Year's the, Eve. It was New Year's Eve. There you like, go. It's hey, well, this is our New Year's Eve tradition. It's kind of what we're already doing, right? Yeah. Now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and should continue to do, man. right? We will. Yeah. We will. Yeah, I think uh, you know, psychedelics is one of those things you can experience at one time and, you know, can completely change your life, completely change your outlook and and you would never have to take it again, right? Um or, like you said, you, you were feeling like you had kind of regressed and you needed to go back and, clean, you know, put yourself through the cleanser again, mm-hmm. you know. And, but that was what, like a year? And, you know, in between, I think we've experimented, dabbled a little bit in the psychedelic realm. Um,
0: Enough to make me comfortable and capable to yes. submit was exactly what yes. it was because I had never done anything like seven grams before. Yeah. That's, that's a lot,
1: you. you know, that's a lot. Um, now I have to, <laughs> now I'm like, man, I got to do that, you know? Um, but I, yeah, I think each time you, you partake, mm. right. Take it in, experience it. Um, you have a new experience, a different experience. And, you know, there's, there's no telling how much built up mm-hmm. trauma mm-hmm. in our bodies exists um, that you build up over a lifetime, you know, how many, how many times do you need to do it before you can cleanse that? Well, and I like, think just listening to your body, listening to yourself, yeah. you know, when you feel like, hey, man, I'm starting to feel like I did before, it's probably time mm. to go journey again. And I know what all I haven't touched on yet.
0: I know what's in there. Yeah. And, and I'm happy to make that more of an annual cleansing and just see what yeah. I can remove from my, my soul and my heart and open myself up and, and be a better person and be, right, you know, a source of love and inspiration for the people that are around me. Right.
1: Instead of a hard asshole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would say there's definitely things um, that have hurt me in my life um, that— Man didn't seem like uh was discussed right when I was under, if that makes sense, yeah, yeah, you know, for sure, um, so I would say, like you said, I know there's some stuff in there that still needs to be dug out and removed, you know, yep, um, and I don't know if what we're discussing makes sense, you know, Maybe unless not. you've experienced it, that's okay, that's okay, it's uh something worth investigating, man. I, I hope if anybody listened to us and, and was curious about it, you know, maybe they would do a little investigating on their own to... Definitely do the research. I'm not encouraging anything, yeah, but yeah. do the research. I have nobody to be taking advice from.
0: <laughs> yeah, right? And, uh, you know, see what, you know, what you're called to do, because that's really what it is. It, you're, you're either called to it or you're not. Yeah. And if you are, Uh, that's okay. And if not, that's okay too. Yeah, And thank you for, for having this conversation with me.
1: Yeah, man. I'm glad you, I'm glad you went back. Thank you. Yeah. I'm glad that you went too. Nothing, nothing better for the soul. I think, you know, we all need that. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially our community for sure. (laughs) Well, stay zero. Stay zero.